Amen. Do you agree with that? God is so good. Yeah. Don't even know how to follow that up. God is good all the time. God, yeah, God is great. God is, <laughs> I love that song. Thank you, Kurt uh, and Laura, for leading us in that. Um, let's just open up with prayer real quick, going to this amazing God that we serve. Father God, you are so good as we just saying, God, let that be not just a song that we sang right now, but God, may we continue throughout the day and the week remembering your goodness to us. God, may we just just walk and live in your goodness, constantly reflecting on how good you are, not, not based on our circumstances or anything to do with us, but God, that you are good. And so as we open up your word today, as we get ready to just read more about who you are and what your desire for us is, God, show us yourself. Allow this message to be your words. Allow our hearts to receive them. And God, let us not just hear them and leave, but let us dwell on them. Let us meditate on them. And God, let us grow in your word and our relationship with you. God, we love you so much. We thank you so much just for everything that you've done for us. So speak to us here and now in this moment. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So I got uh, a little bit of wisdom for you real quick that I want to open up with. So this is guaranteed to make you money. So, I mean, you can take this to the bank and you are going to be a richer person. I'm not saying you're going to make a million dollars, but I am saying that you are going to be a richer person based on this information I'm about to tell you. It's, it's like life altering stuff here. Amen. Spend less money than you make. Another way to put it is make more money than you spend. So if your output is higher than what you're making, you're not going to be a richer person for it. And if you're making more money than you are spending, you're going to gradually see that bank account grow. And it's like, where'd all my money go? Well, I have all of these. I've been talking to Heather about subscriptions because I believe that subscriptions are the death of a bank account. Because it's like, this is just $20 right here, but that $20 adds up. And then it's like, well, $20 here, $50 here, $75 here, $100 here. And suddenly I have no money. And it's like, where'd it go? Well, we subscribed ourselves to death. So here you go. Make more money is by spending less money than you make. That's great knowledge right there. Amen. Worth the price of admission right here, which we allow free admittance. So you're making more money right there. Here's the catch, though. You have to do it. Me telling you to do that is not going to fix your bank account. Until you actually say, that is true, I'm going to live my life based on that. So I'm going to make the cuts where necessary, and I'm going to start making more money than I'm spending. Or actually, I'm going to spend less money than I'm making. I'm going to make cuts necessary. I'm going to apply what I just learned to my life. Well, the thing is, Paul takes that principle in our passage today. We've been talking about freedom. Ever since uh, July 3rd, right before the 4th of July, Happy Independence Day, we get to celebrate our freedom as American citizens. And so it's like, hey, not only do we have freedom as American citizens, we are free 
in our spiritual life. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free from the bondage of death. We are free, and that is through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. We have been set free. That is what Paul has been telling us in the book of Galatians. He says in Galatians 3.13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Man, I love that passage. That Christ became the very thing that I was supposed to be. That was supposed to come upon me. He, a perfect man, a perfect God, took that upon himself. Why? Going back to chapter 1, verse 4, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So that in in Galatians 2, verse 20, he says, I, or we, I believe this applies to we as well, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I or we who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it is faith in Christ that sets us free. And Paul has spent this, like, first four chapters of Galatians telling us it's not based on what you do. You have been set free solely because of what Christ did for us. All we have to do is receive it, and then we are adopted in as sons and daughters of God. And it's like, man, that is a great message to hear. But Paul's going to say, that is good stuff to hear, but you can't stop there. Just as much as saying, hey, it is great. Yes, I know I should spend less money than I make and I will be rich until we apply this to our life. It's just information. And so what Paul's been doing is he has been telling us, you have been set free. You're free. Live in freedom. You're free. Stop going back to slavery. You're free. And now he's saying, you know how you should live freely? By living freely. He says, don't fall back into a yoke of slavery. He is telling us that now we apply it to our life. It's, it's the, the, yep, the pattern. That's the word I was looking for. It is the pattern that Paul follows in his writings. He starts out by giving us this like amazing, this is what God has done for you. God has set you free. God has done everything so that you can be free. That is what God has done. But he always follows it up with now, this is what we are called to do. This is how we live our life. Everybody likes to cut it off right at the very beginning. God did all this for me and we've talked about it before. So I can freely live my life and do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. And it's like, no, no, no. You got to finish what Paul says. What God says, speaking through Paul, that there is an application for us in our lives today. Because just as much as you can receive good information until it is applied to your life, it is information. But Paul says, don't stop with information, go into application. And he's going to lay out that it is only through Christ, but there is a response for us. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 1 through 15. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. And so Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. 
I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other views, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Thank you. You may be seated. And so we're going to see that Paul, he kicks this chapter off with really the verse that kind of gave me this whole uh, series idea. Right away in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, This is why you have been set free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so it's like Paul has just recapped the last four chapters right there telling us that we have been set free so that we can live in freedom. So that we can freely live this life for Christ. Don't go back to the sins that we were going back to before, but instead pursue a life lived for Christ. Because this freedom, as Paul has already pointed out, it is a freedom from slavery to sin. It means that we no longer live as slaves to the law. It means that we have the freedom to freely live for Christ. Not walking around like, oh my goodness, did I do enough today? Did I earn God's favor enough? Did I do enough for Jesus to say, I love you? Because he's already done that. He's already told us that he loves us. He's already demonstrated how far he's willing to go with that love for us. Galatians 3.13, he became a curse for us. The very thing we were supposed to be, he became. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he showed that he cares for us. So as we've spent the last month discussing, this is why Christ died. So that we no longer would be living this this moral, moral life trying to figure out, am I in favor with God? But instead, we can have confidence that we can live in freedom in who Christ is and what he has done for us. Now, I believe very much so there are times where uh, Jesus spoke in uh, parables and he kind of made people think, question your salvation. Not in, uh, have I done enough? Not in a workspace salvation, but there are times where we should be like, all right, am I right with God? Because I think a lot of people, honestly, in American society, I was just having a conversation this morning with uh, Ross and Charla, and I asked, how many people do you think in southeast Kansas and Cherokee County, we have 19,000 people, how many people do you think don't even know who Jesus is? Like, they haven't heard the name of Jesus, they haven't even spoken about Jesus, or been spoken to about Jesus, and I, I just said, how many people do you think that is? And it was like 10 to 15%. 
which is like 2,000 people, they thought, because they think there are a bunch of kids in our school systems who are the product of parents who had a walking faith, not a walking faith, a professing faith, but they did not truly have a relationship with Jesus. And so they're not sharing with their children. Parents, that's on us to share with our kids who Jesus is. And so we had this conversation and then Ross said, let me ask you a question. What percentage do you think truly has a relationship with Jesus? And it was like, man, I I don't know. I mean, that's a judgment call based on whatever number I would give out. But it's like, I don't know. But I believe there is a big number of quote unquote American Christians who do not have a relationship with Jesus. They just think, hey, yes, I believe there is a God. And I think they're going to be very surprised. I don't want them to be. And it's on us to speak truth to them. It's on us to speak God's word in a loving way. And we'll get to that at the end of this passage. But it's on us to share with them. Because even Jesus said probably some of the most scary words in the Bible. When Jesus said at the last days, people are going to come up to me and they're going to be like, hey, we did works in your name. We did miracles in your name. We did all these things in your name, Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And it's like, oh my goodness. These people knew who Jesus was, but yet they obviously were missing out. And these are people who probably thought they were Christians. And so there should be a time where we say, God, where are we? I I have asked it. I've mentioned it multiple times before. On a scale of one to 10, if you were to go to heaven today, how certain, or if you were to die today, how certain are you that you would make it to heaven? If it's not a 10, and if that 10 is not because of Jesus and Jesus alone, really think about that. If it's like, well, because I came to church today, not going to cut it. Well, because I gave this much money, not going to cut it. Well, because I helped this person, not going to cut it. It's only in Jesus. And Paul's telling us, hey, our salvation is found in Jesus so that we are set free, so that we no longer have to be slaves to the law, slaves to sin, slaves to death. But again, I think so many people, so, and, and it's the, the fear of sharing grace with somebody. The, sh- the fear of telling somebody about God's grace is the, the opportunity to abuse grace. Because I think a lot of people here, I am free in Christ, so don't tell me what to do. Such popular words, don't judge me. How dare you tell me that I can't go get drunk? How dare you tell me that I can't sleep around? I'm saved. I can do whatever I want. I'm free. That's not truly freedom. You are a slave if you do that. Freedom is not found in doing whatever we want, whenever we want. But instead, true freedom is found in submission to Christ. Submission to God's word. Galatians 5.13, Paul said, You were called to freedoms, brother. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't go and live in the flesh just because you've been set free, but through love serve one another. Because we are always slaves to something. I don't care. Even if you're like, I'm an American, I'm free to do whatever I want. Yeah, go 120 past a cop. You're not free. Well, I'm a Christian, I'm free to do whatever I want. You're free but is not in alignment with God's word. 
They're still submitting to Christ because that is where true freedom is going to come. Well, I'm not a Christian and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. And it's like, no, you're controlled by your flesh. You're controlled by all these desires, these impulses. We are always a slave to something. But the thing is, when we become a slave to Christ, that is where true freedom comes. Because then it's no longer a slave. It's an entire new relationship. Second Peter 2.19, Peter tells us that they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So we are all slaves to something. Because if it's like, well, no, I'm not a slave to anything, you're constantly looking for more money. You're constantly looking for more social status. You're constantly looking for more um, whatever it is. Fill in the blank. And the thing is, if it's anything other than Jesus, we're going to constantly be looking. You're going to constantly be like, man, this is not measuring up. But living for Christ is like so satisfying that Paul in prison, when he wrote Philippians, was able to say, hey, in all circumstances, I have found out what it is to be content. In much, in less, in hunger, in fullness, in prison, out of prison. And then he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he found satisfaction in Christ. He found what true freedom in Jesus meant. And so we can live in worldly freedom. Worldly freedom, which means, yeah, do whatever you want. But the problem is, is it is going to lead to death because we're slaves to sin Or we can live in godly freedom, which leads to righteousness and is found in obedience in God's word. And so God gives us that choice. And it's like, hey, yeah, I'm free to get drunk. I'm free to sleep around. I'm free to do these substances. I'm free to do whatever. They're all, every time, leading to death. Spiritual death, physical death, relationship death, uh, healthy death, whatever. It always, when you live a life going against God's will, it leads to death 100% of the time. It might seem like it's a slow death and you don't notice it. It will end in death. No sin is done in secret. They always come out to be revealed. But when we live in obedience to God's word, we find righteousness. We find acceptance to God. Romans 6.16, Paul said, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So whichever way, if you're, you're, you're going to be a slave of something, it's either the world, which leads to death, Or it's Christ, which leads to righteousness and joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's like, how does that work? I have no idea. I'm going to ask Jesus when I get there. How does being a slave to you give me ultimate freedom? It works. It works. And so we have those choices. But again, there are a lot of people and a lot of Christians whose lives are falling apart because they're thinking, I'm just going to go do what I want. And then it's like, why, God? Why did this happen to me? And it's like, were you lining up with God's word? Because there's heartaches when you follow God's word. But man, there is a peace about it still. 
Whereas there is like guilt and there is destruction and there is so many negative things when you don't walk in accordance with God's word. Because the questions might be, aren't I free to do what I want? You're free to do what you want, but whenever you walk out of the plan of God's word, you walk in slavery. And so again, to experience true freedom is found in applying God's word. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. Probably, I don't know if anybody's actually read the whole thing. It takes quite a while to get through it. It's longer than a lot of books of the Bibles. But it is filled with passages about living for God's word and obeying God's word. Uh, Psalm 119, 119, 1 through 9. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in your eyes. Oh, sorry. Steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And then verse 11, I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 47, for I find delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 59, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. And then verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so the psalmist right there just gave multiple passages about finding joy in living a life according to God's words. Because so many people are going against it. Um, There's a documentary that came out this year, and it's called The Last Dance. And it's about the 1998 Chicago Bulls. They were going for their second three-peat, and it just kind of follows uh, pretty much the professional career of Michael Jordan, the most famous professional basketball player. Some people say the most famous person ever in 1998. He had the money. He was worth like millions and millions of dollars. And as I was watching it, he said at one time, I do not wish that anybody would have my lifestyle. Because at first it seemed great, you know. He was able to get the girls. He was able to smoke and drink and do whatever he wanted. He had the money. And then he said, man, there are times where I wish I could just hide in a room because the celebrity lifestyle, which is the American dream, it seems, does not measure up. He was like, it tears me down. Because he was not living a life according to God's word. He was going towards whatever he wanted to. He did not apply God's word to his life. And so again, a lot of Christian lives are being destroyed because they are not living according to God's word. It's like, well, why has this happened? Well, you know, God's word actually says not to do that. Yeah, well, that's an old outdated book. Apparently it's not. Because it still applies so much to today. That if our world would live according to God's word, it would be so much easier, so much more peaceful. But instead, we're like, nope, not going to do that. I know more than God, so I'm not going to listen to him. And so Paul, he continues on with the salvation is found through the work of Christ. Again, it's not found in what we do. It isn't anything else. We've been set free in Christ alone. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, according to scripture alone. 
If we rely on anything else, if we think, hey, God, I'm going to twist your wrist here because I've done X, Y, Z. So you have to love me. Paul actually says, uh, for the Galatians time frame, it was circumcision. And the Galatians had somebody coming through saying, no, it's Jesus and circumcision. That's where salvation is found. And so Paul says, stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is verse two. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so if it's like, hey God, I obeyed nine out of ten of your big commandments, let me into heaven. You did not obey all of them. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, honor your father and mother, serve, you know, uh, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not cheat. He said, hey, great, I've done all of these. And Jesus said, hey, if you really want to be good, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and follow me. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. And he was like, hey, Jesus, I measured up to these. And Jesus was like, but have you measured up to these? And it's like, I failed the cut. I missed out. It's Jesus and only Jesus. If you want to rely on like any of your merit, because pride gets in the way and makes us want to rely on ourselves. Jesus is going to be really quick to humble you and be like, I expect 100% without any failure on it. So the minute we begin to rely on anything other than Christ, we nullify grace. It becomes the law that we have to live up to. So if you think your morality or being good enough will make the cut, that's what you're doing. You're nullifying it. And so Paul encourages the Galatians, and he would encourage us today, keep on pushing, stand firm. Do not sway from the truth. Don't let your pride, your ego get in the way and say, hey, actually, I'm doing pretty good. I've made four of the last five sermons. Yes, I made heaven. Don't let that happen. Rely on Christ. At the end of verse one, he says, stand firm. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then in verse seven, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And then he says some very strong words. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves completely. Those are strong words. That is how strong Paul feels about people who are like, hey, it's Jesus and. In this case, it's Jesus and circumcision. And so Paul's saying, hey, why stop with just cutting a little bit? Go ahead and emasculate yourself completely. Cut it all off. Become a eunuch. That's what they should do. Why stop at just a little? Go all the way and remove everything. And it's like, what? And it's like Paul views it that seriously. He's like, why stop there? Keep going. 
Because that's how horrible it is to go away from Christ alone. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so the world and Satan is going to try to tell us to go back to our works. I mean, I've been listening to, uh, I love country music. And so I also love Christian music. So I've been looking for a happy medium. And so there was a a country playlist called Country by the Grace of God. I thought, cool, I'll listen to that. And in that playlist, I had to stop because I was being very judgmental of the artist. And, but they, they just kept talking about, hey, be good enough. Hey, this is how God's going to love you. This, like, it, it just kept measuring up to workspace. You're good enough. You're going to make the cut. And it's like, no, you're not. If you came in here thinking you're good enough, you're not. I'm going to say that again, just so we all get humbled today. There is not a single person in here good enough to make it to heaven. Stop thinking we are. Because pride again is going to be like, I can't believe he said that. Because if you would say that to me, I'd be like, you don't know me. (laughs) Actually, we do know me. And Jesus knows me so much more. I'm not good enough. And you're not good enough. It is not possible to earn God's favor. So instead, what we do is we continue to live for Christ. And Paul, he ends this passage by reminding us of the end goal of our freedom. Because again, so many people, woohoo, I'm free, I'm gonna go party, and I get heaven in the afterlife. And it's like, no, Paul's like, let me stop right there because that's not why you're set free. He says in verse 13, or 14 through 15, Nope, it was 13. Sorry, I'll get there. He says in verse 13, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And too often we fight over things that we allow our pride to get in the way. Because he then says in verse 14, where I was trying to go, he says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, he says, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And it's like, man, so often you see Christians fighting and bickering with each other. And it's like, I can't believe they wore that to church today. I can't believe they sang like that. I can't believe they did that. Oh my goodness, I can't believe they're here. It's like, Christians, we are devouring each other. And it's like, well, I'm doing it out of love. Are you talking to them? No, that'd be crazy. Then it's not out of love. If we are talking about somebody behind their back, it is not out of love. The loving thing is to go to them. And sometimes the loving thing is to not say anything. I'm still learning that one. The value of silence. It's not working too well. I'm a work in progress. But Paul tells us, he says, hey, don't use your freedom to let, to, to cause other people to stumble. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Verse 9, he says, take care that this right of yours, you're free, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And then he says, says in verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So if it's like, well, I'm free to do whatever I want and you have this smug attitude, you are sinning against your brother because you are causing them to sin and therefore you are sinning against Christ. He says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Why? So that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, all things are lawful. So yes, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be, be, be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Therefore, be imitators of me as I am of Christ." And so Paul is like, hey, you know, I have people that are biting me here. I have people that are biting me here. Anybody ever please everybody in your life? No. But the thing is, and I see this in myself, again, pride is our enemy. And pride gets in the way and it's like, well, I'll show you. I have the freedom to do whatever I want. That's not really caring for them. That is not humbling yourself. That is not lifting them up. And so what Paul says at the end of that is to imitate him because he's imitating Christ. Again, it's easy to enter these walls on a Sunday morning and start throwing out judgments at people. Christians are great at it. We got PhDs in it, it seems. To go out and just being like, boy, can you see that? Wow, did you notice this? Did you see them last week? Well, whatever. Instead, we should be humbling ourselves, lifting one another up. We are to put the interest of others above our own desires. Boy, how much bickering and backbiting would that get rid of if we humbled ourselves and lifted each other up? Because look at the world right now. It is so full of division. It is so full of backbiting. And it is sad when that enters God's people too. It is sad when you see Christians get on social media and devour one another. And I always think, man, what are non-believers thinking when they look at that? And they think, man, these people preach love. They, they speak love. And yet the minute it goes against their personal liberties... They start biting and devouring. There is not loving one another in that. And so we are told, set our own freedoms aside. So often it's like, man, I would rather lose a relationship than lose my freedoms. 
I'll be honest, I've seen this recently, and I've kind of wondered it sometimes, especially with 4th of July coming up, and a question that I had as, you know, America, we see our freedoms getting smaller and smaller, and I want to fight back. I, I, it hurts me too, but I've started to see people be like, I am an American first, and I'm a Christian second. Don't you dare take my Christian or my American freedoms. Yeah, that's fine on my Christian freedoms. It's like, let me hold on to my patriotism. I'm going to hold on to being an American far above loving my neighbor. Instead, I'm going to chew you out and tell you every single way through a computer screen how you're wrong. And it's like, that is not how Christians should act. Instead, we should be sharing love. We should be preaching hope. We should be humbling ourselves and lifting other people up. It seems so often that we forget that we are called above everything to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we're put on this earth to do, to love God first and foremost, but right behind it is to love our neighbors. And it's like, well, my neighbors are Republicans, but not Democrats, or my neighbors are liberals, but not conservatives. That's who my neighbors are. Jesus told a parable about this, the Good Samaritan. He was the complete opposite of the Jews. They hated the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with him. But yet that Samaritan helped out a Jew who had been beaten. And like just saying the word Samaritans, I pictured them being like Samaritans. Like they just had to spit after saying it to get the nasty taste out of their mouth. That was the hatred that they had for them. But yet we see that this Samaritan goes and he helps the man in need regardless of the political view, the ethical view, whatever it was, he helped him. And Jesus said, which of these out of the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan was a neighbor? And he said it was the Levite, or not the Levite. It wasn't the Levite. The Levite like detoured around. It was the Samaritan. And he said, go and do likewise. We are called to love our neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? It's even our enemies. We're supposed to pray for them, lift them up, and love them. And it's like, man, that is hard. How do I do that? We constantly, daily, look at the cross. And we see, man, I only want to love people that love me. Jesus didn't. Jesus loved the people that persecuted him. Jesus died for the very people that drove the spikes through his hand. Jesus died for what we would call his enemies. He gave his life for them. The cross is a continual reminder that we cannot do this on our own. And the world today has made crosses look beautiful. I mean, you know, we lay them out in gold. We put gems on them. We wear them. We use them as decoration. And I think sometimes it has nullified, it has numbed the true meaning of the cross. Because it's like, yeah, I'd go to that. It's made out of gold. Where the real cross was covered in blood and flesh of Jesus. It was a, a horrible, embarrassing, humiliating thing. And yet Jesus willingly went. He suffered. He died because he was the perfect lamb of God who could take away the sins of the world. That's the cross we need to remember. That Jesus went for us. That it has been paid for us so that we can be set free. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, you have been set free. 
Why? Because John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Father God, we thank you for the sacrifice that you gave. God, we thank you for setting us free, but God, may we not just claim a freedom to do whatever we want, but God, may we live for you and experience what true freedom is. God, you have stopped at nothing to pave the way for every single person to come to a relationship with you. But God, we have the decision. You have given us the decision to receive the gift or to reject it. So God, I pray that first off, if there be anybody here who has not received salvation found in you, uh, in true salvation, even if it's like, yeah, I believe in God, but they are not living for you. God, show them who you are. Work in their lives. Let them see that you are worthy of everything. And then God, if there are others here who are not truly living in accordance to your word, God, as the psalmist said, let us see the wonderful things out of your word and let us see that from your word comes life and blessing and joy and hope and peace and relationship with you. God, whatever it is that you are calling us to do today, God, work in our hearts and give us a heart to respond to what it is that you have said. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. If you'll stand with me this morning.